Hi, I'm Trudy Morgan Cole, and you are listening to Shelf Esteem, the podcast that's like a book club in audio form. And this week, coming back after a spring and summer hiatus to kick off a new fall season, I've got a first. It's the first time I've partnered up with the hosts of another podcast to do kind of a crossover episode. I've invited Jenny Wright and Amanda Bittner from the podcast The Academic and the Activist to talk about books that have shaped them as readers and specifically as feminists. And I think you'll really enjoy what they have to say. I started off, as always, by asking, what have you been reading lately that's left a big impact on you? Well, I've been on kind of an interesting tangent of reading, and I find one of the things I love about books, and certainly about feminist texts, is I I kind of pick up ones at my individual developmental stage. So what is it that I'm, you know, reflecting on or experiencing at this point in my life? Uh So I have been heavily into reading about women's anger and reading Mm -hmm. about rage and and then really reflecting on why um, that's so important to me right now. Uh Um, So, of course, I mean, everybody's heard my love of Soraya Chemley's book, Rage, Mm -hmm. which I think was a really kind of pivotal book, a very accessible book Uh on how women's rage is feared Right. And uh, the pushback against women's rage, what happens to women when they're angry, uh, what happens to certain women when they're angry, be that indigenous women or Mm -hmm. or women of color. And um, it's a bit of an exploration about how and why we need to embrace our anger, Mm -hmm. that our anger points to social injustice, it points to personal indignities. Mm -hmm. And it's an important... You know, it's an important tool to protect us uh-huh. and interesting at the same time, something that is squashed. Yes. Um, and, and and how that is for women, you know, not being allowed our anger. So I think a part of me at the developmental stage of getting older and hitting, you know, yeah. 50s is like, I'm just really angry. Yeah. And I'm allowed to be really angry. Yeah. yeah. But what do I do with it? Yeah. And, and, you know, from the feminist theorist point, why was I never allowed to be angry? Right. I come from yeah. a family, no anger. Yeah. So I think for me... The the opposite of that is finding joy in reading books about women's pleasure, uh-huh. which is where Lisa Tadeo's book, Three Women, comes where uh, she's a journalist in the U.S. and basically set out to explore uh the experience of desire, mm-hmm. um, mostly in the U.S. among American people, and very quickly into that book, she said, "Men's desire is boring. <laughs> uh, it's repetitive. It's the same." What and it's is? It's not that we haven't heard about it. <laughs> yeah, we've got that. Uh, what I'm finding really interesting is the complexity of women's desire. Mm-hmm. So very quickly, she changes kind of her research and starts looking at that. So, and I think there's something important to be exploring anger and pleasure at the same time. The great, yeah. the great two taboos uh-huh. um, and then uh, looking at why why those things were taboo growing up as a woman and how that formed my kind of feminism so that's kind of what I'm at right now yeah that's, That's awesome. Great. Well, and our our two, what we're reading right now are really, really different. So I've been mm-hmm. focusing more of my reading on fiction lately, uh-huh. and in particular, Newfoundland fiction. So mm-hmm. right now I'm reading Elizabeth Mariafi's I read Hysteria a few months ago. In the last few months, I read Hysteria by her her as well. I loved it. Could Mm. not put it down. It was both anxiety-inducing, but also incredibly compelling. And it just shot, like, amazing. Um, 
I read your book recently, actually, too. Also, in the last few months, I've been doing a lot of Newfoundland fiction, and so I read your most recent book, and it was also fantastic, and I love the kind of layers of that story, Mm. and just was beautiful. Um, I also recently read Sharon Bell's The Boat People. Fantastic. Megan Cole's book you read. Megan Cole's book, Mm. which I love. Have you read that? I haven't read it yet. No, I have on the library hold for it, but everybody's raving about it. It needs to be read, 100%. The other one that I read recently that was a Newfoundland author as well was Joel Thomas Hines's We'll All I'll Be, be Burnt in Our Bed Some Night. That book, like the Megan Coles book, mm-hmm. is amazing. Like I it's gritty, so it's yeah. dirty, it's like just, I don't know, and it, it's such a like it looks nothing like my life. Does that make sense? Yeah. But yet it's absolutely. a life that I recognize really, really easily. Yes. And just sort of thinking of like you can place yourself in the places. Just mm-hmm. I think what I love about all these books is that I've been living here now for it'll be thirteen years this year. Mm-hmm. In August twenty fourth, it'll be thirteen years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um and I now know some of the people we're talking about. I know the places that I'm reading about in a way where when I first moved here and and read um after shipping news, I read the one by Wayne Johnson. Johnson, yes. Colony of Unrequited that's Dreams. That's the one. Yes, so that's yeah. what began my kind of Newfoundland fiction voyage 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. And then, so, you know, I've, I've read a bunch of different stuff since then. Um, and then just now at the library, my most recent download that just got downloaded automatically because it was on hold um, is the new um, Robert Chafe book of oh, book of, of short stories. So oh, I'm yes, on two man yeah. tent. Two man tent. So I'm, yeah. I just opened that up a couple of days ago. I'm on like page two. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm sort of immersed in all of this stuff and just it's it it's there's just so much you know yes, there's so much yeah. rich literature here and it's, it's awesome. They're really it. yeah yeah there really is an amazing literary community here and there's just so much good stuff coming it's out remarkable. all the time. Absolutely yeah. and yeah. it's hard to keep up with it and I'm, it can you know, be. the library the hold section is usually super long but I just yes. keep on placing my holds and then it comes in on my phone or my iPad and then I read it when it's there <laughs> or if I can't wait because I couldn't wait for the Bang Coles I just yeah. go to the bookstore and yeah there's it. something you can't wait for you can't have wait. to buy as soon as they come yeah. out but yeah I have those same thing with the holds from the mm-hmm. library that oh this book just dropped onto yeah. your device and now now you can read it yeah. the other books that I've been reading a lot of and I read them whenever they come out I don't know if you've read um, any books by Louise Penny She's a Canadian uh, that, that's author. That's the Inspector Gamache one. Yes. Oh, my dad and my cousin both read those. They are and so love addictive. Yeah. They are fantastic, but because they're also they're they're Canadian, so and because they speak French, there's this nice mix of like French and oh, English bet, into yeah. it. That's that's mm-hmm. they're just you read one and they're just you just have to keep going. They're really really awesome and just very like thoughtful but good kind of mystery novels, which is yeah, yeah. so super. I'm addicted to mystery novels. Oh, love them. I have a long addiction, which started when I lived in England with mm-hmm. the classic British murder oh, mysteries, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, including Agatha, Agatha Christie, Christie and then yeah. moving their way up that still happens. Um, I, my love affair is insane and it becomes more now with Netflix rather like when Shetland mm-hmm. or oh, uh, those those yes. levels come out that I I just I love I can't all get enough shows. mysteries. Yeah. I'm a sometimes mystery reader. Like there's mysteries I really, really love. Like of the classic Golden Age ones, um, the Dorothy Sayers, Lord mm-hmm. Peter Whimsey mysteries are some of my all-time favorite books. But then there's whole swaths of mystery. I don't get into right now I'm reading the Kate Atkinson Jackson Brody mysteries oh. and loving those mm-hmm. really I love her writing anyway I right. love Kate Atkinson but I had just not read this the the mystery yeah. ones yet so it's yeah they're 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 pretty cool so good yeah um, so looking back a little bit sort of into your reading history and particularly your feminist reading history are there books that you would say were really 
um, formative for you or really, uh, really important when you were younger in kind of shaping the way you saw the world? Yeah. I think so. And so going back to fiction again, I've uh-huh. been a big reader since I was little. And so I think back to my earliest years and it was like Anne of Green Gables, mm-hmm. plus all the shows and all the books and everything yeah. else. Um, Nancy Drew mysteries. Uh-huh. I read all, I owned like a lot of them and my mom would just buy them at like garage sales because everybody mm-hmm. had them. And so I had, I had tons of those and I would read those a lot. And there's a series that, um, of books, I forget the author's name, but the series was about, it was called the Trixie Belden <gasps> mysteries. Have you guys read? I love the Trixie mm-hmm. Belden mysteries. I loved, I loved them. them. And I think the thing that I liked about, like, in retrospect, that I liked about them so much was there's just this tomboy yeah. who's solving mysteries, wearing her dungarees. Yeah, and, like, all yeah. Stuff she's that, this very independent, yeah. strong-minded girl. And Incredible just, stuff. Yeah. So yeah, those are the kinds those. of books that I just couldn't put down and couldn't get enough of. These women are off adventuring, getting into scrapes, mm-hmm. getting themselves out of those scrapes, uh, and just and solving problems and, you know, not, I wouldn't say doing research, because that's, you know, but they were, like, looking into stuff and trying to figure things out. And yeah. I, I find that really compelling. And they had a skill set. They really yes. did. You know, which was so different than the other fiction were we were looking at. With, yeah, yeah. They were Yeah. I really, really enjoyed that. Oh. There's a whole fascinating history with Nancy Drew mm. um, that I was listening to a documentary on the radio one time about about the different eras of Nancy Drew oh. based on who was writing them. Because, of cool. course, it was always the mm-hmm. same name, but different writers. And based on who was writing them, Nancy developed different skill sets so there's a whole era in which that. she has like really strong domestic skills and right. can like you know cook and lay a perfect thing. table and then and then there's you know she has all these more sort of tomboyish mechanical skills in a different era because Amazing. it's a different writer I did so, not know that that's yeah, really interesting it was really fascinating to me to think you know how we portray all the things that a girl can be yeah. based on who's telling it you know it's really interesting anyway I cut you off because I wanted to no, hear yours no. too <laughs> no I, I love this discussion I love Nancy Drew she certainly was pivotal to me um, and I was thinking about this actually on on the drive in and I wasn't an early insatiable reader mm-hmm. um, certainly not a feminist text or I, that came later I think even after my political activism, funnily uh-huh. enough, because I started that very young. And I think, for me, it was, I had a sister who's a very strong feminist, who's a professor at Women's Studies, and she would bring us those fabulous magazines or uh, mm-hmm. periodicals that were written mm-hmm. by strong feminists, oh, similar yeah. to the bitch and other uh-huh. those, and they almost seemed scandalous, you know, uh-huh. and she was off the charts to me, fierce. It was like, and they'd be like, at Christmas, that she'd give you these, you know, which were hardcore, written by hardcore feminists at the time, uh-huh. and I'd be like 12, going, uh-huh. <laughs> so, you know, this is add to yourself. You know, yeah. and she, you know, and she would often, you know, give us books or or, or ideas. I think uh, that shaped it. But for me, uh, you know, I think I almost went in reverse. My activism started, then my love of feminism, then literature and theory okay. happened. So I, I, when I was thinking about that, I had, so I had my first son when I was sixteen, uh-huh. and much of my activism rooted from that, from right. from the experience of being a single mother, right? From of experience course, yeah. of how society then looks at you and 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 mm-hmm. treats you and what they think your expectations, how the world kind of changed, you know. And a lot of my activism came out of that the treatment of single mothers, uh, the treatment of income support. You know, back in those days, income support workers would just come into your apartment suddenly to make sure there was no man there, up and, you know, checking your bedding and looking for birth control. I mean, it was just state violence against against women. It was horrible. And shortly after that became a lot of my activism around the abortion movement, around the treatment of single mothers, Mm -hmm. economic violence, and all that that came 
And then, but because I had my son so young, I left school. Mm-hmm. I was in grade nine. Mm-hmm. You know, it was very difficult, you yeah, know, to course. continue on yeah. to go to school. Now, I did, you know, end up going back and finishing my, you know, university. But I started as an English lit student. Uh-huh. So some of the first mm-hmm. clicks that happened to me after these early nibbles and mm-hmm. then being political was like Mary Wollstonecraft, oh, right. yeah. Virginia Woolf. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, oh, this is different. Mm-hmm. This is our history. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This, These are our texts. Mm-hmm. You know, these are the experiences of women yeah. over a millennia, you yeah. know. Yeah. And then I began from there. But some of those early classics to me were the first times I had really written so at this point I'm 18 and 19 I'm still a single mom yeah I'm trying to go to school and manage the world and uh-huh. you know I'm, I'm trying to do courses by course bonnets yeah. through the University right. of Western and along came these women these classics uh-huh. um, I would imagine too to read those books as an adult having had the kind of life that you had had mm-hmm. is very different from reading them when you're 13 and being told to read them in high school or whatever right so yeah, you have sure, this perspective yeah. as you read these classics and you're reading, you're like reading Jane Eyre or whatever, and you're like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> what kind of life is this that you have? And, yeah. and so, like, just bringing that life experience to the reading yeah. is, uh, I think, in some ways, it's like students who come back to school when they're seniors and they've got all this life experience and they yeah. engage with the material from a different perspective yes. than all those mm-hmm. young ones who just came up out of high school and are now doing, you know, university for the first time kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, I think that that's, there's a perspective to that and a discussion, if you have any discussion, that can come from that that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because most of us who follow the quote-unquote traditional path don't think about anything as we're reading these things for the first time mm-hmm. until we're more mature. Yeah, until you don't have older. the life experience yeah. to, you know, you can read and, and go, oh, well, patriarchy's a terrible thing, but it's very different if you've totally had that lived different. experience mm-hmm. to, uh, to back it up. Yeah. yeah, and the classics began, and then I started rolling, and then, of course, you know, uh, my sister would give me, you know, books, uh, I mean, Maya Angelou, and, of mm. course, uh, Toni Morrison. Of right? course, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and reading, I should just say that, that this is probably going to go out a bit later, but we're recording this, like, what is it, the day after? The day after, after she Toni passed. Morrison passed, yeah. What and I, even though she was writing, you know, specifically for women of color mm-hmm. I could relate to so many of those mm-hmm. experiences for sure yeah. and then it just went on from there mm-hmm. and um, you know one of my f- favorite quotes uh, Clementine Ford is an um, Australian feminist uh, a journalist and a writer mm-hmm. she wrote uh, two feminist treaties one's called um, fight like a girl and the other mm-hmm. one's called boys will be boys but you know she talks about coming into feminism and understanding it in book you know, reading some of these texts and she said, you know, feminism makes being a girl not hurt so much. Mm -hmm. I love that. Oh, that's so powerful. And that's how I felt about those early texts. It was starting to be the, I'm not alone. This is the experience of women. This is our history. Here's our story. So you came into a community of understanding of, and you know, the great feminist writers have written our history. Mm. And there it is. It's like this great encyclopedia of the experiences of women and how feminist theory has grown. Mm -hmm. And I think we often forget that. It's like when you read them, you're like, hello, friend. Mm -hmm. Hello, friend. You are, you are articulating my rage. You're articulating my, you know, confusion. You're articulating my discomfort of of how I'm experiencing the world in such mm. a beautiful way, and I've become part of something. And I think that's what 
feminist texts can do. They're like meeting an old friend or, you know, yeah. as Clementine says, makes being a girl not hurt so much because mm-hmm. you, you have a context or an understanding for it instead of just yeah. flailing around in the world, mm-hmm. knowing that the world doesn't necessarily, you know, it's not that favorable to you. Mm-hmm. It's a little scary, a little hostile, yeah. a little violent, yeah. you know, that things are different for you as a girl than they are. Yeah. You know, well, and then um, all the insecurities that you have are mirrored in the insecurities that others have too. And so, if you can read these books by women or about women, usually about women, but by women is, mm-hmm. I think, the key. Um, you know, you feel like you you are part of something that makes mm-hmm. sense, right? That others are. It's not just you that feels this way, whatever that way is. That's the most healing thing. Yeah. Is this? I'm not alone. And Absolutely. there's. Well, and then you start to step into feminism. Then you see other, you know, real life feminism, yeah. feminists, as yeah. opposed to just in your books. And they're, yeah. they're, they're active and they're on the streets and they're and they're they're fighting and they're giving words to what you're experiencing. And then you know. And they're also complex. They're yes. Yes. They make mistakes. They they screw things up. They yeah. learn. They mm-hmm. navigate. They change over time, and because we're complex creatures, just like boys are. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, it's, it's yeah. nice to kind of see that both in real life and then also in fiction. It's mm-hmm. pretty amazing. And it's like you know, even uh, Sora Chemily and Rebecca Traster right mm. now yeah. with their books around rage. It's like I'm having that same feeling again. It's yeah. like, thank you, yeah. sister. You yeah. said it. Yeah. You said it. Yeah. I am okay. Saying this out loud. I'm really angry, and that's yeah. a good thing. Yeah. And that my anger is is actually something that needs to be honored, mm-hmm. and that it's it's pointing, it's diagnosing that something's wrong, and I need to honor that, and I need to honor other women's anger, and I need mm-hmm. to sit with them and say, hey. What are you angry about? Let's let's work on that. As opposed to the, she's, you know, nuts. (laughs) Or here she goes again. Or the way in which we even as women Mm -hmm. can harm other women Mm -hmm. in, in really powerful ways. So it's funny and beautiful to have those same feelings again when I read newer feminist literature mm-hmm. to go, mm-hmm. yes. Well, and also to celebrate anger as opposed to trying to suppress it down and pretend yeah. it doesn't exist. Yeah. A girlfriend of mine recently gave me, a, it's called a damn it doll. And it's basically <laughs> a tiny little doll. Not tiny, it's about a foot and a half long, but it's small and skinny and it's like, it looks like a person, kind mm-hmm. of. It's a really rudimentary doll. Yeah. And you're supposed to basically, when you get angry, hold it by the legs and beat it against the <laughs> thing, right? <laughs> And so I thought this was fantastic. And so I've been trying to teach my kids, who are five and seven, that emotions are normal, including yeah. anger. It's okay to be it's angry. It's okay to yeah. be angry. And so we have the damn it doll sitting in the front hallway now on a little <laughs> bench. And when you're angry, you get to go and grab it and wail on that thing, <laughs> as long as you're not hitting, you know, hitting me with it, yeah. uh, and just yelling out, damn it. And so yeah. being told that you can yell, damn it, at age five That's so apparently powerful. quite liberating. <laughs> so powerful. As opposed to the, you know, don't get angry, yeah. don't raise your voice. Don't you know? Don't upset Absolutely. people. Absolutely. Yeah. What's the title of the Rebecca Traster book about anger? I don't remember. Give me one second. Is it called Anger? What is no, it called? No, Good and Mad. Good and Mad. Good and Mad. Good and mad. Yes. Have, you, have yes. you read it? I have. I haven't read that one, and it's been on my to-read list for so long. It's well worth reading. It's good. And it's very much in the U.S. Uh, context. Right. But she talks very much uh, about 
um, it's almost, there's many parts of it that's almost a retelling of kind of famous women of color um, and how they how they are treated. Um, in, in retrospect, anger. So she looks at like Rosa Parks, who um, we want to see as stoic. And this stoic and gentle. She was yes. calm on the bus. Yeah. That kind yeah. of thing. It just, she was pushed, yeah. you know, way too far. None of this was true. She was a very angry woman. Yeah. She was a huge activist. She was a huge activist. Uh, yeah. Are, yeah. And had been already for some time. Yeah, long and, before this and this was very clearly a, a purposeful yeah. um, direct action, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, which had huge outcomes, and, and she paid a huge price for it. Mm. But because we can't see women of color as angry, because mm. that's far too dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or women in general as angry. We actually retell women's stories, women's narratives, and erase so much of who and what they were. Mm -hmm. So she talks yeah. about things like that as being kind of the real implications. And, you know, it made me think of our Viola Desmond. Yes. We have that same narrative of this very stoic women of color, you know, oh, yeah. again and again and again. And it was like, wait, no, I want to go back. I want to know what her story mm -hmm. was now. Mm -hmm. I want to know who told her story and if her narrative is, in fact, right. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just giving me a bit of a lens to kind of look at some of our, you know, historical feminists and activist women before us, even if they didn't call themselves that, yeah. and how we've erased mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so much well, of what and, they've done. And why, right? And just the idea that when women are angry, they're perceived a particular kind of way. And mm -hmm. when black women are angry, are perceived an even more different kind of, not more different, but you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And so some of these stories and some of these personas we've created for these women, I think, have taken on these mythical qualities mm -hmm. to make them more legitimate. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. The eyes of society who wants women to be palatable is the word. Is the exact word. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And so I think that that's really important. And it's important that we. Um, I think about this all the time in relation to my everyday life. Like, who am I expecting to behave a particular kind of way because of my preconceived notions about mm. what's appropriate because of your gender or your race or whatever? Yeah. Um, and when I encounter somebody who bugs me. Why do they bug me? Is that mm. me? Is that about me? What is it? My therapist tells me this. When you, <laughs> when you get angry or when something happens, when somebody makes you feel strongly about something, it's a great opportunity yeah. for you to ask yourself, what is that all about in you uh -huh. that's causing you to react this way? And so I'm trying to do this more and more in, you know, we can't get rid of our, you know, unconscious biases, but just thinking more consciously or trying to think more consciously about them when I have this mm -hmm. visceral reaction to something, whether it's being angry or happy or whatever, why? Um, and what have they done versus what have I projected onto them and imagine mm -hmm. that they are mean or have done or whatever. Um, and I think reading these stories about the anger really helps with that because these writers are highlighting all of the things that we do to each other, women and men, on a regular mm -hmm. basis to kind of push each other down and, you know, invite conformity and, and things like that. And I think that... And ultimately the silencing of women. Exactly. Yes. And yeah. the kind of the, the implications of that are so huge and we don't even notice it half the time mm -hmm. because of the way that we've all been socialized into this kind of world mm -hmm. where we expect women to be quiet and... One of Compliant. the one of the things I love um, in in the book Rage is is you know in the end she basically says go and hang out with the angry women yeah. go yeah. find them find, find you know them instead angry, of fearing yeah. or moving away from I know anger was not a, it was a taboo uh, growing up 
in my world. Mm-hmm. So when I see someone who's angry, my natural reaction right. is, Amanda was talking about, is almost to recoil yeah. from that. Ooh, what's happening here? You yeah. know, it's that's bad. Yeah. Something bad will happen if you be angry. Yeah. Stop being angry. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But in essence, you know, as she and other feminist theories say, all great social movements, transformative change the last couple hundred years has happened because women were angry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to go back and trace some of those, it doesn't just have to be Me yeah. Too, you know. Yeah. Like Temperance what, movement. Black Everybody. Lives Matter, yeah, yeah. Uh, the abortion rights movement, absolutely. now the reproductive justice movement, yeah. well not now, it's been around for a while, has been, you know, the Women's March, all these, uh, you know, uh, much of the peace movement led mm-hmm. by women who never absolutely. got the credit yeah. about those sorts of things, who were angry about literally losing sons and daughters mm-hmm. you know and and if we continue to stifle that rage then we're going to stifle great transformative change yeah. and we're hurting ourselves so as women we have i think a real responsibility to reflect on our own anger mm-hmm. kind of honor honor it in others it doesn't mean just because you're angry you're right no you know it doesn't mean we need to go around right. screaming and yelling up the street that's not what that is about but it is important is to trust your body and if it's angry you're feeling angry Hang out with that for a bit and, and honor that. Most likely you are protecting yourself from an indignity that's being done to you. Mm. A social justice that you, you know, that you see and that you can't mm. unsee. Yeah. Um, and, and if we say, oh, can't do that, then, then we're going to miss our opportunity to be a part of that change. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's the great loss. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that we've we've touched on the idea of our unconscious biases and talked about not just just gender but race. Um, I assume that as feminists, we probably read a lot of books, mostly books by women and about women. D- do you see biases in your own reading or, or ways you've tried to diversify your reading experience to bring in more uh, a variety of voices? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So I mean, I love Canadian literature. Love, mm-hmm. love, love it. Uh, Newfoundland literature, Canadian literature. Like I just, there's something about that genre that just is my favorite of all mm-hmm. of the genre, genres. I feel funny even saying that word. <laughs> um, but I definitely notice that that usually means that I'm reading like Margaret Atwood, Alice Munro. Mm-hmm. I'm reading Miriam Taves. And these are all white women. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so I've been trying to think about that consciously and, you know, integrate other things. Um, and so, you know, I've been reading, so I read a book recently by Tanya Talaga, which was really, really good. And there's a, oh, there's yeah. a few other books like that that I'm trying to integrate. So, you know, I mean, I read the book people by Sharon Bala, not purposely because mm-hmm. she's not white, but I was aware of the fact that she's not white and the story is a not white story. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I, I think that's really important, but there are a lot of authors that I, that are, that are not on my radar unless I make an effort. Yeah. And I'm not making a big enough effort, frankly. Like, I could make a lot more of an effort to diversify my reading in that sense. Yeah, I think we all could. The the image that I use is it's like all the books I'm going to read in the world are in a bookstore and you know how like when you walk into chapters the bestsellers are all face out and to me there's a shelf called Fiction by White Women that is face out and I could keep going to that shelf endlessly but there's so much other great great stuff and you know I've been making so much more of an effort to read indigenous literature for example so I've read you know uh, Katharina Vermette's The Break Mm. Alicia Elliott's A Mind Spread Out on the Ground have either of you read that? that Isn't that incredibly powerful? amazing and I I did it as an audio book and she reads oh, it herself. She reads it herself. She reads it herself. Cool. And it's so powerful in her. She's own also voice. a heavy presence on Twitter. Yes. I've spoken yeah. About and that's it. how I even oh, knew yeah. about her book yeah. was her her activism on Twitter and her yeah. voice. Yeah. I highly recommend kind of following her, mm-hmm. um, and 
her writing and her experience as an Indigenous writer and her experience of Indigenous writer in Canada, which yes, I think for sure. is a, a very much an eye-opener. Yeah, she's you one know? of the people who's quite outspoken about um, Canlit and the ways in which it's both racist and sexist. And Absolutely. Racist. She was highly outspoken, too, as well, with the BC letter and yes, against, yeah. you know, uh, um, Alice, not Alice Munro. Margaret Atwood. Margaret Atwood yeah. Oh, that as well. was a big deal. It was a huge yeah. deal yeah. in, in Canada. And a real, uh, right on this topic, too, yeah, right? right about topic. centering white people in white literature Absolutely. and certainly white men. And very well, much in the even, academy, right, as well. Yeah. The all-powerful white totally. man professor yeah. within the academy mm-hmm. uh, whose tenure gives him yeah. basically carte blanche to be a harmful person and mm-hmm. what does that mean and 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 how do we I, that was we could do a whole podcast yeah. on that. <laughs> almost could well, yeah. i'm thinking too about the controversy over like joseph boyden for example yes like, is he yeah. indigenous is he not does he have the right to write these books and claim mm-hmm. that identity or mm-hmm. pretend yeah. to have that identity and because i mean i read i forget which the orenda i think yeah i'm mm-hmm. thinking that i was diversifying my reading yeah. only to realize oh shit whoops i messed that up kind yeah. of thing. And yeah so that was frustrating as well because as a white lady who's pretty privileged mm-hmm. i rely upon now others to, to recommend books to me so yeah, you know my sure. friends yeah. who are indigenous my friends who are black i ask them what are you reading yeah and i take suggestions in that sense because i i, I want to know what's contemporary and i want to read you know, interesting and thought-provoking stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's silly to say I don't know where to turn because obviously I'm a researcher and obviously I know how to use a library and, and a bookstore. Yeah. But still, there's that del- the need to be deliberate, I think, so that we don't just always go to the kind of the, the traditional go-to, mm-hmm. um, the comfort zone of Margaret Atwood. And I still yeah. love Margaret Atwood despite her take on this particular issue. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's... You have to kind of push into do. into other areas, yeah. Certainly within my feminist reading, I have gone out of my way of late to read and follow Indigenous and women of color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it has certainly changed my feminist. Social media really helps with this yeah. too, yeah. right? And you get exposed to different Yes, that's the one and... positive of it, is the, <laughs> being able to find, you know... And, and Voices a, that are different. Yeah. Exactly, so... As we talk about in the podcast, I'm knee uh, knee deep in reproductive justice. So mm-hmm. following great women of color activists like Loretta Ross, and I've been, she wrote uh, the, the pinnacle text, reproductive justice, about mm-hmm. what that means and the history of of black women. You know, basically saying that. You know, it is not just about the fight for reproductive justice, white women. This isn't about abortion. This is about access. This is about war. It's about economics. Mm -hmm. It's about how we have our children. It's about why our children were taken. The white agenda does not fit. Um, And we need an agenda which centers uh, women of color. and, and, And so reproductive justice was born. So I'm down that wormhole. I mean, I watched Loretta... Uh, Ross talks online last night, I think for over an hour, just hitting, listening to her experience, you know, how she came into feminism and how hard it was to be mm-hmm. a woman of color and a feminist at that time. Yeah. You, you know, there was, you know, uh, black women are like, why are you being a feminist and why are you talking about abortion? You know, yeah, she was talking, right. she talks about the Black Panther movement was like, no, you have to have babies for the revolution. Mm-hmm. And then white women going, you're taking on too many issues. This is just about abortion yeah. rights here, yeah. you know, and, right. and and feeling through her feminist that she fit nowhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, that tension is really something. It, it's it's so it's so powerful, yeah. and you know, 
one of the things we, I mean, some of my first activism was about the legalization of abortion here in this mm-hmm. province, uh, reproductive rights. And I think, you know, I had this conversation with Amanda. They said, now I know. We, we thought we had it in the 80s, you know, and then we never did anything again. Turns out poor women, women of color and indigenous women have no access yeah. to, the, yeah. to the reproductive choices we fought hard for. Mm-hmm. This is the problem with white feminism. Yes, yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. And so by following indigenous and, and women of color, it's like, yeah, okay, now I get it. Mm-hmm. It is much bigger. Yeah. It is about social justice. It is centered in race. It is centered in poverty. Mm-hmm. And uh, my feminism has been way too white for too long. And in some ways, I think that's why we avoid reading writers. Like, yeah. Even someone like Elisa Elliott, who's like, no, wrong, you yeah. know, Tanya to go. All those right. women are like, no, white women are going to kill everybody. And yeah. at first, you're like, really? I'm it's uncomfortable to hear that. Right? Yeah. You're like, I'm such yeah. a nice person. I'm such a nice white lady. Yeah. I've been an activist for a long time. I had troubles. And it's like, okay, yeah. uh, going back to university of feminism, <laughs> you know, yeah. under, you know, the professordom of, of women of color and indigenous mm-hmm. women because those are the women that are expanding my brain, turning me on, changing the way I see the world and the way I, you know, work as an activist and an advocate for yeah. people. It's mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. I almost have to be silent for days on end as you're taking it in. Yeah. That yeah. was that for me was a big thing that, you know, they are right as white women fought for reproductive justice, but we just once we had it, we figured it was good. It was done. Yeah. We didn't have the lens. Yeah. These are powerful lessons. And that's why women writers, feminist writers, it's like, yes, keep writing, keep the evolution and, and get out of your biases and go yeah. find somebody else. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do, though, because you get a slurpy headache. It's like a conscious raising <laughs> slurpy headache yeah. when you realize that you yeah. or maybe you maybe your feminism is harmful and toxic. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, it's hard. I mean, I read uh, uh, Ijeoma Lua's um, um, So You Want to Talk About Race. Yeah. yeah. And there's another one, Austin Channing Brown. Uh, oh, I haven't I, read that one. Yeah. And I think she's speaking more specifically uh, within particularly a church perspective mm-hmm. and being, it's basically, it's about being uh, a black woman in spaces that are largely run by well-meaning white people who mm-hmm. think they're doing things right. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I'll find the title of that later. I do, I post show notes for all of these where I post okay, links cool. to all the books we talk oh, about nice. and things like, for example, the talks you were talking about. Loretta Ross. Loretta Ross. And she was the founder of Reproductive Justice and yeah. One of the founding members of Sister Song, which is a, a woman of color collective. On yes, this. yeah. So maybe some, yeah. We'll post mm-hmm. some links there to some yeah. of what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. If there was, I always try to avoid like if there was one book type of questions because I think it's so mm-hmm. false. But are there books that you really want to press into people's hands and say you need to read this? You really should read this one. What are some of your texts that you are? either always trying to get other people mm. to read or wishing you could get other people to read. I have, a, I have a few. Yeah. Um, the, and these are going to be non-fiction, even though I've been talking about fiction so far. So uh, Roxanne Gay's Hunger mm. is awesome and hard to read. I love that and book, but it is hard. And just, yeah. like, incredible. Um, so that's one that I think is a must-read for a lot of reasons. Another book uh, written by a woman named Sarah Ahmed. Um, it's called Living a Feminist, Feminist Life. Life. Oh, I don't know that one. Really okay. good. Uh-huh. And 
and she's an academic who reflects upon feminism in academia mm-hmm. and and race because she's a woman of color, she's a brown woman. And so talking about her experiences in the academy and what it's like in the university as a brown woman, mm-hmm. as a lesbian brown woman, mm-hmm. and like building all this stuff in and talking about, you know, citation patterns and how we assign readings and how white is my syllabus, for yes, example. These yeah. are the kinds of questions that she probes us to think about and, and talk about. So that's a, that's a really, really good one. Um, and then um, I'm trying to think of, of books I've assigned recently to students to give them the opportunity to do book reports on different kinds of, of books. So um, Lindy West's Shrill. Oh, I yes. Love that yeah. one, too. Just thinking yeah. about, you know, fatness, thinking about mm-hmm. the fact that we have these ideas about society as being ideally skinny, mm-hmm. white, abled, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so thinking through some of these things, and her work ties into Roxane Gay's a bit in mm-hmm. the sense that Roxanne talks about, well, Hunger talks about her experience, her life as a large black woman mm-hmm. who had had a particular kind of life experience that led to her being a large black woman and, and what that all means and stuff. And so just thinking about some of the assumptions we have about everyday spaces and yeah. how people that don't fit the mold interact mm-hmm. in those spaces yeah. and, and all that kind of stuff, I think is, is just fascinating. Um, and then there's a writer, Canadian writer, actually American writer living in Canada um, named Esper Bergman, who okay. is a trans man and talks a lot about different things. So he writes fiction, he writes nonfiction. He's created actually a, a, a series of books for kids, too, okay. that are, a, you know, children's books that aren't just about white men, mm. white boys in particular. Um, so learning about different kind of family styles and things like that. I, mm-hmm. I first bought this series on Kickstarter a few years oh, ago really? when my kids were okay. tiny. Um, but he's written a bunch of books that are it's collections of essays and things like that that are really good. And so he's also an author that I would recommend as being just thoughtful and thought-provoking and pushing mm-hmm. the envelope and getting us to rethink some of the things that we take for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say those are my tops right now yeah Mm. those are all great suggestions oh and another book by chelsea vowell um she's an indigenous writer in alberta and she talks basically about indigenous history thinking about what it means to be indigenous what it means to be metis how to understand these basic concepts so it's almost like a primer textbook Mm -hmm. but it's written in a way that's really accessible so for those of us who want to expand our understanding and knowledge but don't have the language and Mm -hmm. don't have the background it kind of gives you a a good overview of some of the things you need to think about when you're Mm -hmm. thinking about that stuff and she She's kind of a badass. Follow her on Twitter as well. She's yeah. very much a badass. Um, and so she like sort of pushes people to think about indigeneity in different kinds mm. of ways. Like so, you know, dealing with, for example, the the Joseph Boyden issue and like thinking about what it means to be part of a community and mm-hmm. what it means to be, you know, can you say you're one sixteenth Cherokee? Is that appropriate? Yeah. My answer is no. Yeah. Um, and so thinking about that kind of stuff in a way that we we as white people don't always think about and don't always know about these things. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, those are books that I would highly recommend to everybody. I think along with book links, I'm going to have to post some Twitter links as well. Some of these people that we've been saying are really worth following. Mm -hmm. So much to learn. Um, What about you? Are there books that you try to get other people to read or wish you could get other people to read again? Yeah, I'm so, oh, I love, this was important then, and this yeah. point of my life, and yeah. this point. I, but when I think back to um, Ain't I a Woman, mm-hmm. uh, anything by Audre Lorde will yes. blow, you know, Audre Lorde will blow, absolutely blow your mind, you know, if you want to look at some of the classic texts mm-hmm. that, you know, introduced us. I would go back and encourage anybody to read A Room of One's Own mm-hmm. um, as well. Anything by Mary Wollstonecraft. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, uh, Craft was still dealing with so much of what we were dealing around there. Women had birth control, mm-hmm. 
<laughs> you know, yeah. all of those great kind of things. I agree with Amanda wholeheartedly. Uh, living a feminist life is brilliant. And mm-hmm. even though she is an academic, um, it's very accessible. Yeah. Very lyrical, too. She's like yeah. a poet in the way that she writes. Mm-hmm. And so, I've, I mean, my copy is covered in coffee and wine. And so it's <laughs> yeah. just that's, like, you know, a good book. It's if it's covered in stains. Like, yeah. Underlines. Because he's just beautiful, like, Po- almost poetry-like moments. And she's talking about non-poetry type stuff. Like, mm-hmm. it's not meant to be a book of poetry. But she's very descriptive, yeah. very evocative. Yeah. And she speaks very experientially, too, which you can relate yeah. to. So that certainly was a book that helped, you know, bring my feminism along. You know, one of the th- one of the things she talks about, certainly as a woman of color and as a lesbian woman, is talks about that sometimes feminism is about leaving your life. Mm-hmm. And for her it was, it was about leaving an expectation of a heterosexual marriage and children mm-hmm. and all that but you know leaving that as she becomes a queer woman and how do we do that when you still have to live in relation mm-hmm. to that very you know status quo world very very powerful I read Tanya Tagak's uh, latest book mm-hmm. and I can't remember with a very controversial yeah. picture on the front that's the tooth yes mm-hmm. yeah I've read that too yeah, yeah did you like it I loved it but I also found it really it's 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 a lot that book it really is it's very primal yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh, I, I like that book it's very primal it doesn't surprise me uh, who she is as a performer yeah. Yeah. that it's like a, a free flow in my it's yeah, not like, easy even genre wise it's very like I think I'm reading this type of book and then I oh but oh, suddenly there's poetry and suddenly it got very uh, surreal okay. and you know yes yeah it's yeah. like free flow consciousness yeah, almost yeah, yeah. very very much very powerful like her like her performance I saw certainly would read Soraya Chamalee's Rage. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd recommend that to all women, the younger, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do highly recommend um, what Amanda talked talk about, giving your children early books. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, there's a great book out there called A is for Activists. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yes. Which just throws the alphabet that's in a, a, great a, book. In uh, a, in a like different that. way that starts uh, your children early, thinking mm-hmm. about things. I think we can capture the minds of children so, so you know. So, Did you yeah. guys edit when you were reading books to your kids as when they were little, before they could read themselves? I thought, like, my, my daughter's starting to be able to read on her own right now, so it's harder to edit, but with mm-hmm. my son, and I can still yeah. edit all the time. And so I take out lines. Like, there's this one book that's all about using the potty. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's all about everybody uses the potty. You have this. And then so at one point, it's like talking about the, uh, your body parts mm-hmm. and calling it a wee-wee. And oh I was like, what are we doing here? This is yeah. not happening in this book. So I yeah. edit, I edit edited things it out. out yeah. or like, you know, if, mm-hmm. if there's a, 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 a part where boys can't do something or mm-hmm. stupid things like that, I chuck those parts. And there's yeah. some books that I just will not read to them. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if they sure. enter my house, they leave right back out. And I don't <laughs> want to throw right. books out, but I'm willing to throw some books out mm-hmm. because it's just too much. Yeah, yeah. But I wonder how universal that is. I mean, I'm looking at two feminists who care about writing and reading. I'm trying to think if I did that as a kid when reading aloud uh, you know when I had little kids because we read aloud so much I can't specifically remember but I'm sure I would have done it yeah. so I probably did skip over things that and then I what do you do were, once yeah. they can read themselves then you're <laughs> screwed the, yeah I mean at some point you have to have the conversation about some people think only boys can do right. this but you know actually if I had a book that said only boys could do certain things I probably would have just trashed the book yeah. but you know much subtler things mm-hmm. you can say well this is the way some people see the world this isn't how, how I see it and, and I hope right. it's not how you do but uh yeah, I think what you t- what you tell kids and what you read with them and to them is so important. Which reminds me, because you just mentioned ABCs, um, have you guys seen the um, 
Agnes Ayers ABCs of Newfoundland Women. It's on my list. It's on my list. And I was so happy when I heard that it was coming out. Maybe I'll pick that up today. Thank you for the reminder. Great new book by its uh, stories of Newfoundland women. And so many of these are Mm -hmm. stories that we don't know and mm-hmm. our kids don't grow up learning right. you know who who these people who these women were you know so i thought that was that's a, you know from the perspective of mm-hmm. books to press on kids Absolutely. or the parents of young kids that's yeah. a great local one one of my early memories is my mother raging about the lady chatterley's lover mm-hmm. that her mother found it and redacted it. Oh my goodness. Wow. And here she thought it was such an awful book, but found the time to read through the entire thing uh-huh. for her daughter with a marker and yes. and, and the whole to cross things out. And my mother Amazing. kept this redacted book, you know, oh, wow. and would show it. And I and my mother was mortified and I think later in life my grandmother probably came to understand that that mm. was, was an uncool thing mm-hmm. to do. Um but to, to edit a book or any of those things so to me, I have that immediate visceral of that About book censorship and the anger yeah. and and. But now, as an older woman, I think of the shame and the guilt and everything my grandmother would have had at that time mm, to yeah. think to this violence yeah. upon this book, you know, Interesting. Uh, which was a banned book, yes. But I mean, by today's standard, it's pretty pretty mild, yeah. yeah. And so, anytime I think of editing a book or changing mm, a book, right. that image comes to me. You know, so if you wonder why pleasure and anger is taboo in my <laughs> it's generations, yeah, it's it goes generational trauma around books. I think there, amazing, yeah, yeah. It's so interesting. Thank you both so much for coming in and having this conversation. It's been great, really enjoyable. And uh, as I said, as always, we'll I'll post a list in the show notes of all the things that we've talked about awesome. with links for people so they can check them out. Thanks so much for having us. What a treat. Yeah, thanks for having it's, us. It's been cool to be on the other side yeah. of the microphone. And we'll encourage people, of course, to check out your podcast, which just... Tell us briefly what your your podcast is about. So our our podcast is called uh, The Academic and the Activist. Mm -hmm. So it generally explores current events, ideas, from the point of view of a political scientist, mm-hmm. that would be Amanda and myself as an activist. So we'll pick a topic. Um, it's always has a feminist lens, mm-hmm. um, but we'll pick a topic. Rage was one of them, for yeah. example, you know. Um, and what we look at is. What is the academic lens or the feminist theory behind that? Uh-huh. And then Amanda pulls up, you know, what is the what is happening around political science or political theory? Uh-huh. What is the history? And then we kind of hash it out. And at the end of every show, we phone a feminist, just somebody we want to talk to. And we have this rapid fire eight minute segment oh, where they great. have yeah. to tell us what are we what are you reading? What are you working on and how are you resisting? Oh, that's fantastic. And that ends up being one of the most popular mm-hmm. uh, segments of it. And mm-hmm. People love to be yeah. the phone of feminists and people love to hear from them. Oh, that's great. Um, the problem is every time they start talking, we're like, okay, you have to come on yeah. the show. We need to talk to you for a whole hour. Yeah. Um, and we just always talked about wanting to do it because we weren't hearing any kind of you know, um, gender analysis around the election, around politics, around voting, around anything. Mm -hmm. Um, And we said, well, we'll just do it ourselves 
And so we did. Neither one of us knew how to podcast, (laughs) knew what we were doing. We just sat down and started talking. And for whatever reason, we clicked and it worked out. That's fantastic. Um, We're still learning. Oh, we really are. We still make a lot of mistakes. Oh, yes. Still, you know, we cough, we laugh, we mm-hmm. we do inappropriate things. I, I suspect those things will never actually stop. So. No. It's part of our channel. Maybe they're not inappropriate. Well, we'll definitely put a link to your podcast and encourage Thank listeners you. to check that out as Thank well. You. Thanks, Thanks so much. So much. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jenny Wright, the activist, and Amanda Bittner, the academic. Uh, I hope you'll have a listen to their podcast, The Academic and the Activist. I really like it, and I hope you will too. And I'll be back in a couple more weeks with more great guests. Until then, if you want to check out any of the books we talked about, go to my website, TrudyMorganCole.com, click on the Shelf Esteem link, and it'll take you to the show notes where I list everything we discussed. Until we talk again, read a good book and build your shelf esteem.